I bow before thee, King of glory, holy are you, Lord, none beside thee, perfect in power, my God, forever. bow before thee, King of glory, holy are you, Lord, none beside thee, perfect in power, my God, forever. stand before thee, King of glory, holy are you, Lord, none beside thee, perfect in power, Thanks, Ross. I couldn't do that, man. Uh, legend. Um, we're going to move into a time of prayer now. And uh, if you're new with us, one of the models of prayer that some of us use here is ACTS, which is adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication, which means to ask. So um, I'm going to follow that model of prayer this morning and um, track with me as, as I go through my prayer and, and and uh, it's a good model, it's a helpful model to prioritise prayer. So um, please join me in prayer now and bow your heads. Father God, we praise you for who you are. You are the creator of all things and sit above your creation. You tell us that you stretched out the heavens and founded the earth and formed the spirit of man within him. All that is visible and invisible, you created it. 
you created us. The whole world and everything in it is yours. You sustain us. In you, all things hold together. Every moment of every day, you are worthy of all praise. Lord God, you are holy. You are truly deserving of all praise and glory and honour forever and ever. Gracious God, your wisdom is pure. God of peace, your mercy is steadfast. You do not change. We declare with our mouths, Jesus is Lord. We believe in our heart that, Father, you have raised him from the dead. O Lord God, you've only begun to show your servants your greatness and your mighty hand. For what God is there in heaven or on earth who can do such works and mighty acts as yours? Lord, we ask, have mercy. For our sins that are known and those unknown, we call on your name. In thought, word and deed, we've failed you. How deeply we need a saviour. Lord, have mercy. Christ, have mercy on us. Forgive us. Thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you for being faithful and just and for purifying us from all unrighteousness. What a promise we cling to. By your grace we have been saved and by grace we shall proclaim to the corners of the earth that Christ has come. Let the glory of the Lord forever be a joy for us. Thank you for the easing of restrictions so that we may gather again as one church here at Wyoming and to be able to sing your praise together out loud with one voice. Thank you for working in our leaders to be compassionate towards your church. We pray for other churches here on the coast. Lord, wherever your word is taught faithfully, wherever the gospel is preached, may you work to save and mature many people. We pray for revival here on the coast. We pray for revitalization in this place. We ask, Lord, to bless us and keep us. We ask, make your face shine upon us and be gracious to us. Please lift up your countenance upon us and give us peace. Add faithful servants to us here. We pray for Bronwyn. We pray for healing for her, for the miraculous. Be with Rob and Bronwyn. Give them your peace. Use this to bring glory to your name. This time of year is so important to us. It's a reminder, Jesus, that you have always existed, humbled yourself by being born as a man. In doing this, you are able to live the sinless life we could not and to willingly go to the cross to take the punishment of death that we deserved for rejecting the Father. You are our substitute, our, sacrifice, our sacrificial lamb without blemish. We declare that Jesus is Lord, for we know that you have been raised up from the dead by God the Father. For some, though, this time of year can be tough. It's a reminder of a time without loved ones. For others, it can be a lonely time. For others still, it, is, it brings to the fore the tensions and conflicts in our families. And for most of it, us, it highlights the reality of our own situation. It doesn't match the harmony of life that is portrayed this time of year. Lord, so we ask for your faithfulness. Help us turn to you and to lean on you during this time of year. Help us be a church who invites people to come. Lord, put that in our culture here at Wyoming. Place in our minds a person this week that we can invite along to our Christmas Eve service. We ask for wisdom for elders in their decision making to care for, protect and shepherd your flock. We'd like to pray for Rob today as he brings your message. May he be faithful in presenting your word. Help us be a church that displays all the traits of a biblical church. We ask that Jesus reign supreme in our own heart, sovereign over the details of our lives, ruling over our motives and plans. Now we pray your kingdom come, and we pray your will be done for the honour and glory of your mighty name. We pray this in Jesus' name, through the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.
This morning's reading is from Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 to 22. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision, by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then, you who are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him... You, are, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. All right. Well done on the responsive uh, reading there, guys. Thanks be to God. It's very good. It's encouraging. I think it's probably discouraging when someone reads it and people are taking a snooze. But you're there, you have your Bibles. Well... Hopefully, most of you do, and wanting to track along, and that's what we're on about here at this church. So I um, want to say a, th- uh, a special thanks to those of you that uh, wrote nice birthday wishes and, and cards and, and all that stuff. It's very kind. I, I can't believe I'm 40. Um, what that makes some of you, I don't know. But um, So anyway, but, thank, but thanks for that. Um, yeah, grateful, and you know. I say that not to lend guilt to people who didn't know it was my birthday, but look, Slime's Board Store in Arena, it's just down the street. If you ever, you can assuage your guilt by going there and, um, I'm kidding. Um, about a year ago, um, Vox published an article with the headline, CrossFit is my church. And a little tag to that is how fitness classes provide the meaning that religion once did. And the main point in this article is that even in an increasingly secular society, there is still, people still have a, a spiritual impulse, as it were. They, they still have questions about the meaning of life and why we're here and is there a God? And, um, the article is really fascinating. Um, it also talks about People are longing for a sense of belonging and and community. Um, Allow me to read the first initial paragraphs here. It says, a 2012 Pew study tracked the rise of a new religious group. So did you hear that? A new religious group. And what are they called? They're called the nuns, not the Catholic nuns, N-O-N-E-S, nuns, okay? Those are people that have no religious affiliation whatsoever. Um, one-fifth of Americans and a full third of adults under 30 say they belong to no religion at all. Now, that survey hasn't been done in Australia, but I would guess it's at least that probably greater, right? Keep reading here. The study found that many of these nuns aren't actively searching for a religion or a faith. Did you hear that? So they're not actually searching for a religion or a faith. Many report disillusionment with internal church politicking, restrictive dogma, or institutional hypocrisy. Yet, 
a researcher at Harvard Divinity School says this group, overwhelmingly young, progressive, and spiritually open, is still looking for elements of religious experience. And where do they find that? CrossFit. Now, isn't that interesting? But that's exactly what we should expect, really, what we should expect, given the fact that every single human being is a spiritual being created by God. Every single person is made in the image of God and as such is hardwired with a spiritual longing. Let me, let me read this last little bit here in the article. Fascinating stuff. Referring to CrossFit, it says, people came because they want to lose weight or gain muscle strength, but they stay for the community. It's really the relationships that keep them coming back. Of course, these spaces are themselves defined not just by their spiritual role, but by their economic one. At up to $40 a class, places like SoulCycle and CrossFit often cater to a particular demographic, urban millennials with high-paying jobs and disposable incomes, the same group that tends to identify as religiously unaffiliated. Oh, man, there's a whole lot there that we could unpack. But hopefully the one thing that you caught was this idea of community. Did you see that? You know, people come because they want to lose weight or gain muscle mass, but they stay for the community. Well, what does that tell us? Well, in one sense, I hope you see that actually as a warning to Wyoming Church of Christ. Yes, to our little church here on the Central Coast. I hope you actually feel that as a warning because here's the deal. If all we really offer here our relationships and a sense of belonging, eventually someone can just find that somewhere else. They don't need our church. And if someone is not looking for relationships or sense of belonging and they're just content, they have their own little sort of network of people, they're not gonna come here looking for it. Eventually, they, and, and again, eventually they can find that somewhere else. They can find that in CrossFit. So what does it take for us then to stand out, to be more compelling to be a more compelling community than, say, CrossFit? Well, it's the gospel. It's the gospel that shapes that community. It needs to be a community, listen, and this is kind of my main point, it needs to be a community that wouldn't otherwise exist without the gospel. Did you hear that? It needs to be a community that it wouldn't otherwise exist without the gospel. But how does that happen? How does, a, how does this, what I'm describing, how does, a, how does that happen? Do we have that here? It, d d is this, how do we have a true gospel community and how do we cultivate such a community? Well, those are the two points I want us to explore together this morning. A, what is a gospel community? So what is it? Let's, let's try to put some definition to that. And we're going to look at the passage that Ralph just read for us. And then B, how then, if that has to be something that's supernatural, how do we cultivate that then? How do we care for that? So those are our two points. How does gospel community happen? And how do we cultivate a gospel community? That's where we're headed. I want to jump actually right back into Ephesians, but before we do, let's look to the Lord in prayer. Lord, we come before you this morning as people who are tainted by the fall, people that come with disappointments and disillusionment, and often most of that is because of our own sin. And so, Lord, we pray that now as we open your word that you would reorient our thinking, that you would transform us by the renewing of our minds. Lord, we, we cannot do that just by trying to put our shoulder to this this morning or trying to stay awake or trying to stay focused. We, Holy Spirit, we need you to work in such a way that you would remove the scales from our eyes. Lord, Awaken dead hearts in this place this morning. We ask this for your glory and in Christ's name. 
Amen. So if you, I want us to, let me state this and then we'll jump sort of into the text. So if you, if you have your Bible, you can, you can open back up to Ephesians, but, but let me state this, um, sort of as a way to hopefully grab you. Um, Christianity is never meant to be simply a private affair. Okay? Christianity is not just you on a mountaintop with your Bible or you listening to your favorite worship song or whatever. That's not what Christianity ultimately is designed for. It's not just a private affair. But salvation is, okay, so now it's gonna seem like, now it's gonna seem like I'm a politician speaking out of both sides of my mouth, okay? Not that we have politicians like that nowadays, but so yet salvation, salvation is entirely individual, okay? So, so it sounds like I'm, you hear there's sort of two things I'm saying. I'm saying Christianity isn't just about you and your favorite study Bible. Hopefully you have a Bible with you, but you know, you and your favorite whatever, it's meant to be community, but then at the same time, I'm saying, well, hold on, hold on a tick. I'm saying, am I, hypocrite, am I sort of contradicting myself yet? I'm saying salvation is entirely individual. Well, let me, let me go, go with me to Ephesians 2 again. Look just in the very beginning here. Um, if you look at Ephesians 2, you see what I mean. Very beginning, Ephesians 2, he says, and you were dead in the tress." Passes and sins in which you once walked. So what he is saying there is all of mankind is spiritually inept, totally depraved. You, you don't come into this world innocent. I have a newborn at the house and you know, sure, she hasn't been exposed to some of the heinous things this world has out there, but she, from the womb, is born totally spiritually inept. She is a viper in a diaper. <laughs> Serious. And so she might be cute, but she is separated from God from birth. That is what it says. Now, I'm going to expose my child to the gospel, but, but what has to happen is actually a supernatural work of God to quicken her heart. Dead. How do you wake someone up that's dead? Hey, get up. They're dead, right? And so ontologically speaking, spiritually speaking, Every single person is born in this world totally depraved, spiritually inept, would never, ever, ever seek God on their own, except for verse four, God takes the initiative. God in his sovereign grace has to quicken and make alive a spiritually dead heart. Look at verse four. This is the salvation bit. This is, God has to do this individually, by the way. And I say, you know, right? Because Eden, my, my little viper in a diaper, she... By, she can't be a Christian simply by association. Does that make sense? She can't be a Christian just because, oh, well, daddy's a pastor or, or you know, mommy believes this stuff or even some of her siblings are Christians. God has to supernaturally work in her heart in such a way to take her dead, depraved heart and regenerate it. Okay, so verse four. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were, notice, dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. So, very interesting thing. It has to be individual. It has to be the particular person. You can't be a Christian by simple proximity or osmosis or by a, a relationship with someone else who is a Christian. God has to supernaturally take your dead heart. And, and Ezekiel talks about this, removing from them a heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh. 
That's what has to happen. God is the complete initiator, operator. Salvation is by faith and faith alone, but the Lord grants faith to those who believe. Now, that's individuals, and that's just clear in the text. But it doesn't just end there. Like you're like, oh man, if, if I'm a Christian, so, so here's the deal, here's the reality. If you're a Christian this morning, okay? if you're a Christian, you should praise God that the Lord has done that in your heart. So, but it doesn't just end there for you to go, oh, thank you. There are some radical implications of now living that stuff out, <laughs> right? It's not for you to just go, okay, good, I made it. <sighs> you know, it's not like you just, you know, sort of, jumped onto Noah's ark and then oh, whoo, made it. Whoo, here comes the flood. But you're actually now supposed to live in a community in that ark, so to speak, in this now new saved community, keeping with the metaphor, and rub shoulders with people that are very different than you and people that you ne never probably would want to really be rubbing shoulders with. And that's what the gospel produces though. Now, why do I say all that? Because what Paul does is fascinating, okay? Paul takes two groups that couldn't be more diverse, that couldn't be more different in their culture, in their worldview, in their diet, like everything. Like you think it's like, it's bad with like the labor and liberal party. That's nothing, right? It's not like Democrats, Republicans, like that. That's just like, that's nothing. He, Paul actually points to two groups of people that are at loggerheads with each other, right? Couldn't be more opposite. And he's talking about Jews and Gentiles, right? And what he says in verse 11, what Ralph just read for us, he, he addresses, notice who he's addressing. He's addressing the Gentiles. He says, remember guys, remember you're saved. Remember all the truths that we were just thinking about? Just, and you guys were all going, yes, mm-hmm, amen, nodding your heads. He says, remember, it wasn't, it wasn't always like that, right? It wasn't always like that. That's the case now, but it wasn't always like that. Remember, there was once a time where it was actually the reverse. Look what he says. Remember, therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in flesh by hands, remember, two imperatives there, you see that? You remember, remember, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, and here, here he catalogs it, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. So you were lost, you didn't have any hope. He says, that was your previous condition. Not a good condition, would you agree? Bad, okay? But now all of that is shifted because, because of Jesus's blood shed on the cross. Look what he says here now in verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once Right, You who were once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ for he himself is our peace. Now, that almost might be worth underlining in your Bible because that really serves as almost like a banner for the rest of the verses that follow because he's talking about this peace. Now, what does he mean? Does he mean like that, you know, that peace, that subjective peace that you get about something? You know, oh, I really have peace about this. Well, why do, why do you want to, you know, take that job? I have peace about it. That's not actually what he's talking about. He, he is referring to a vertical peace with God, okay? Because it says earlier in the chapter that we're enemies of God, children of wrath. Well, that's not very, a, that's not a peace, that's, that's not going to end well for anyone that's in that space, Right? But because of salvation now, we have vertical peace with God and then horizontal peace with each other. That's the outworking of it, you see. So he himself is our peace. 
both vertically and relationally. Now, now let's keep reading, because then he gives this interesting metaphor that's probably not going to be very common to most 21st century ears. He says, he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Okay, that's interesting. Most of us in the 21st century are like, wait, he, wait, he did what? He became a wall, like his flesh? Like what is going on there? He broke something? I don't know what's going on. So how do we, how would you understand this dividing wall? Well, two options. One, people see this as actual a physical wall, which could be the case, or some people see this as actually the wall is metaphorical. Still tracking with me? The wall is metaphorical. He's talking about the Mosaic law, right? Think of the Think of all the commandments in, in the Old Testament. So is the wall a physical wall? I can't help but, oh boy, I really want to get on a tangent there. Don't do it. Is it building a wall or is it a metaphorical wall? So it, here's the deal. It could be a physical wall because in Jerusalem at the time that Paul's writing this, you have sort of a number of like levels, as it were, and walls of separation, so to speak. Um, at the temple, in the inner court, is which that's where only the priests would go. And then outside of that, you had another court, and that's for the laymen of Israel. And around that court, you had uh, one for the women. And then finally, after that, there was a court or an, an area or a zone or a space. And at the entrance of that court, was a sign that said, anyone who enters lawfully will be put to death, basically. Has their own self to blame, be put to death. And on that very, very outside, like, you know, you're sort of seeing all like these layers, right? Here's a court, here's a, here's a court, here's a court, and way out here, now there's a small little space for the Gentiles. And if you guys cross this little barrier here, well, you just basically wrote your own, you just, that's a death wish. So he could be, Paul could be referring to that. That was true, that did exist. However, I wonder, remember he's writing to a, a church in Asia Minor here? This is Ephesus. How familiar do you reckon people in Asia Minor would have been with the temple? Eh, maybe. But maybe if you look in the next verse, in verse 15, then he starts talking about commands and ordinances. You see, look at verse 15 here. He says, um, by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in, so there's not a period there. Did you notice that? He broke down the wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create, and I love this. This is probably one of my favorite little hashtags, whatever tweets of Ephesians, that he might create in himself one new man in the place of two. So making, and there's the word again, peace. So on the cross, Jesus created a new society so that true followers of God are not just Jewish. They were made up of Jews and Gentiles, rich and poor, Chinese and Japanese, black and white, one new man, one new people. Hence the reason, by the way, in the book of Acts, do you know the term Christians was used kind of in almost in a derogatory way to say, how are we describe these people, these followers of that Messiah? Well, we'll call them little Christ. We'll call them Christians. They're a third race, so to speak. They're a, th a different thing. They're not, they're not a schismatic group of Judaism, right? That sort of broke off and now they're the, like the Essenes. You know, the Dead Sea Scrolls, have you heard that language before? Dead Sea Scrolls were, uh, were caves found in the caves of Qumran. And there's this whole religious sect of group called the Essenes. They're a bit of a schismatic, weird group, a bit of a rogue group. That, that's not what Christians are. They're not this random sort of schismatic group of just Jews because it's made up of Jews and Gentiles, Greeks, barbarians, Scythians, slaves, free, male, female. What is going on here? Well, it's, it's, a it's, a, it's an other sort of thing that God himself has created. 
And what is the purpose of this thing that God has created and the unity, this peace that they share? What is the purpose of it? Guess what? It's so that God can say, check this out. Look what I've done. Look what I've created. And that's the church. Look, look at, look, drop down to chapter three, verse 10. Look at this. This is amazing. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. So you thought your salvation was all about you. And, and, and when a depraved dead sinner is saved and joins in as one new man, so to speak, in the local church that is put on display, the heavenly realm sits up, so to speak, to take notice. But that can only happen because of the gospel. That can only happen, like you, you can't manufacture that. How well has the United Nations had to go at that, right? You can't manufacture this. This only can happen because of Christ. Now, I want us to think about this. This unity is so unexpected, right? Because I mean, this is centuries long, right? This is worse, like I said, than say the Hatfields and the McCoys or any sort of rivalry gang or anything. When you have Jew and Gentile, you have you know chalk and cheese, okay? So this is so unexpected, so contrary to how our world operates that even the rulers and authorities, did you catch that? They, they sit up and they take notice. And it's only because it's the gospel that creates such unity. Now, here's the deal. Even if in a local church, even if everything about each individual is vastly different, you catch what I'm saying? They are characterized by a shared faith in Christ. So then how do we cultivate such a thing, right? I mean, if that's what, if that's how it's made and that's how it's created, how do we, I mean, good night, I don't want to lose that, right? How do we fan that into flame? How do we keep that thing going? Well, I want us to look again at Ephesians here. There's two dimensions to it. There's a breadth and a depth. Look, look in verse 18, there's the breadth. You see it there? He says, for through him, we both referring to the two groups, have access in one spirit to the Father. Breath meaning it's wide enough to include people as different as Jew and Gentile. Two groups who apart from supernatural power would never unite together. And by the way, this unity isn't learning to tolerate each other, but it's so tightly committed that Paul calls them a new humanity or a new household. So there's breadth, and then look at verse 19, there's depth. Right? For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Now that is depth. Now, here's the deal. What if instead of uniting around Jesus, Jews and Gentiles figured out some nifty organizational trick to kind of get along with each other? Would, would that sort of like make the rulers of the world sort of stand up and take notice? No. No, 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 no. Actually, would that reveal them, as it says there in Ephesians 3, right, the manifold wisdom of God? No. That would show their wisdom, right? That they sort of figured out a nifty way to kind of just get on with each other. And it's not just about getting on with each other. There's an actual life and breadth and depth to this. And so obviously it could never, and even if that happened, let's just say, you would have, you'd think back then too, and think how, um, think how governments work. They're always trying to reconcile people, people of different um, 
you know, they're always trying to come up with programs and all this stuff, and it, it maybe works to an extent. But if it had it worked, like I said, it, it, even if it worked to some level, it would never get to the level that Paul's talking about here, right? <laughs> it's, it, it could never ap- approximate the type of breadth and depth of gospel community that Paul's describing here. Let me, let me give you an example. Let me bring this home to our church here, okay? Because when you, when you think about people that are entirely different, that have virtually nothing in common except Christ, that all sounds good. But I, I want to show you an example. I want, uh, I'm sorry to embarrass you guys. Uh, Nigel, can you stand up for me? So Nigel, Bibby, Andrew, can you stand up? Andrew and Reynard in the back, Okay. What do these three blokes have in common? Not, yeah, it's right. They're blokes. <laughs> I mean, on, I mean, I, you know, don't embarrass. They're already embarrassed enough, you know. You guys can sit back down. But like, what are they? What are those guys? I mean, honestly, not a whole lot, right? Like, it, it, I know all three of these guys, and I can testify that all three of those dudes are Christians. So, like. <laughs> What do all three of those guys have in common? There's, there's, just, there's just not a whole lot. But here's the deal. When people have a shared faith in Christ, when they share this bond, even if everything else about them is different, which might just be the case with you three blokes, they can have a, a deeper and more lasting and significant and uh, powerful relationship than even their own families. Come on, really? That's what, this, that's what this is saying, that they actually share a deeper bond because of Christ more than anything. It's because they have the one thing that's most important in common, Jesus. That's gospel community. And, and so some of you I've had a chance to go over and do this with, but one of the things I'm trying to sit down with every single person in this church is to do what I, it's, a, it's called SOAP. It's a way to read the Bible. So my goal is to try to do this with everyone in this church. And here's how it works. You sit down, groups of two or three or four or whatever. And it's, it's, it's very tactile. You just read one chapter in the Bible and S stands for scripture, O stands for observation, A stands for application, P stands for prayer. So it's just a simple way for you to be able to read the Bible and digest it and then discuss it together with the person that you're doing soap with. Okay, so it's, uh, and you're like, oh, Rob hasn't done that with me yet. Okay, I'm working on it. I've got together with some of you and not all of you, okay? So as you do that though, it's, it sort of it hits two levels. On the one level, it hits like, yeah, you're able to read, you're able to process, you're able to think. Scripture, okay, how I'm observing this, how this applied to my life, and I want to pray about it. But then you're able, versus just having it be sort of insular, you're able to say, hey, can you pray about this for me? You see, I'm really struggling with this. And, you, and here's what's great about soap. You can do it as a one-off, right? You, I mean, you, you can do it more than that, but you can just say, hey, Reynard, Nigel, and Andrew, this week are going to go over to Three Trees. <laughs> Just put the three of those guys sitting there at a table. I find that funny. And, and why the heck would those dudes be sitting? Like, you know, you walk by and you're like, what's going on over there, you know? And it's like, I'll tell you what's going on over there. Gospel. Because Reynard's able to say, who lives in a totally different space than Nigel, is able to say, would you pray for me at my work or at da-da-da-da, because this is what's going on in my life. And guess what? When Nigel sees him the next Sunday, he doesn't just go, oh, yeah, who's that random dude? That seems like a nice guy. But Nigel's able to approach him and say, hey, brother, how how did your week go? I I know that was a real struggle for you. And then Andrew's able to come along and say, yeah, hey, Nigel, I, I know that you also said this week was going. You see how that's, you see, that's gospel community. Do you see the difference? As opposed to, oh, well, we all just get along with each other, and isn't this nice? You know, like, I don't even know if the three of those blokes might otherwise not even, like, t- talk to each other. It's not that they don't want to, but you see, it's just, there's, it's not natural. 
right? Like how much natural affinity do they share? Not a whole lot. But again, in the gospel, they share everything. So how do we cultivate that at our church? Well, that's just one example. I mean, that's just, I'll just give you soap as, as an example. I really hope that becomes contagious in our church. That like Bernadette and Jules are doing a group with like Felicity and uh, Reynard and Ross or something like that. Like that, that's just, just grab, I can just, you know, sorry, if you're in the front, I'm just gonna grab your name. But you see what I'm saying? And, and that's, that, there's, there's a difference of just like, it's not, I, don't, I don't know if you, if you get a bunch of people that already think alike, dress alike, look alike, and you put them together in a group and you go, oh, look at what fellowship we have. I don't know so sure. I think they would all be friends even if God didn't exist. You see? And so I'm not so sure you can rubber stamp that as fellowship at that point. All that is is just a shared demographic it's a demographic phenomenon, not necessarily a gospel phenomenon. What I'm trying to describe, do you see the difference? What I'm trying to describe is a actual gospel phenomenon that makes you sit up and go, what on earth is going, there, going on there? Um, and, and again, that's the, if I can just lean in here, this is, this is the breadth and depth I'm talking about. I don't just mean we all give each other hugs at church. Like that's, you can get hugs at the bowls club. Or actually, you can't now. You have to get elbows or whatever. Like, who cares? Seriously. I'm talking about a, a genuine, open, life-on-life, life, riveting each other, one, uh, another one and on, like pushing each other as iron sharpens iron type of living. That, that's, that's the picture I'm trying to give to you. There, there's, you see the difference? Massive difference. Well, when I was at a church in Brisbane, the church that called me out to Australia, you saw this happening. This, this was beautiful. People were coming from all different walks of life, right? There was people on one side of the bridge, as they say in Brisbane, which you don't get this year. I, I get it. I don't really get it. And people on the other side of the bridge. You had South Brisbane and North Brisbane, right? You had the snobs and the bogans or, or you know, whatever, right? And, and, but really, there was a lot of people coming from Logan, and we called them the Logan Bogans, right? And, but they were beautiful. And they were Bogans. They knew they were Bogans, right? Some of them still had their bintang singlets on, right? At church. I'm not kidding. But, but so why were they coming from Logan to South Brisbane half an hour? Oh, it's because we just gave them lots of hugs and coffee. Oh, no way. It's because we were, it's, this Bible was taught every single week and it's because this is a place where they knew they were gonna hear the word of God and act on it and push each other and sharpen each other. And, and it was a beautiful thing for me to see a Logan Bogan praying afterwards with some white collar North Brisbane snob basically who have zero, nothing in common. But these two share life together. They're gonna follow up with each other. They're doing soap together, you see? And, and do you think it's like, oh, because we have such a nice little kindred little friendship? Not really. It's like, they probably wouldn't really like or ever even talk to each other, right? What, what on earth does the dude that makes lots of money and lives in a very nice place, which is fine, in, in Brisbane versus the guy that, you know, lives in Logan, and they don't have anything in common. It, social, social economics, uh, life experience, nothing, but everything in common. That was a beautiful display. And to me, and guess what? When people would show up at our church, I'm not kidding. When people would show up at our church in Brisbane, they'd be like, what's going on here? Well, I just see the two guys praying together and they're, yeah, oh yeah, and they're gonna go grab a coffee together. Of course, you know, the North Brisbane guys can pay for the coffee. That's cool though, but you know, but you know, they, they um, actually it's not the case. Sometimes, anyway, it was actually the reverse sometimes. But people would, people would honestly come and the same thing went for different ethnicities, right? We'd see people, uh, a lot of, there was a lot of South Africans and Indians and Asians and all of these things. But there was a genuine gospel community, you see, of coming together. Hopefully you're getting a picture of that and that's compelling. It's only because of the gospel though. 
boy, I long for that in this church. Man, do I ever. And we have the potential. We so have the potential to, to see that in our church. This is a super random smorgasbord of a church. I must, I must just say that, dropping in here for the last two years. And that's not to insult you. That's just, I think it is actually kind of cool. I think we have an opportunity to see that happen. So that's something that I want to see. But what's something that could detract from that? What's something that we could actually get in the way of? Well, I think one way that we can actually block that is settling for a shallow community. That, that's how we can really get in the way for it, of it, really, is, is we're content with sort of this status quo. And, and, you know, community here is, like I've said, insofar as, you know, you have a tea afterwards or, or whatever, maybe give each other a phone call occasionally, but it's not actual pushing one another towards godliness. Look at, if you keep in here in Ephesians 4, look at what he says here too. This is, if you're there in Ephesians already, he says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness. Hard to be humble and gentle by yourself, would you agree? But you might think you are. Try living out that out in the community. You realize how pff, you get all those things tested. With patience, notice, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. Wow, now that's a picture of community. That's a compelling church. We don't, would you agree? We don't, notice there, we maintain, we don't create. Did you catch that? We, we don't create the unity. The gospel does that. Remember, God supernaturally has to work. So our job is not to create it, to manufacture it. Our job is to try to cultivate it. It's like a farmer, right? A farmer in this time would know that he doesn't actually, he might plant the seed, he might water it, but God causes the growth. His job, though, is to maintain it, to make sure that weeds don't sprout up and all those other things. That's our job as a church community, is to maintain this unity, to protect it. We, we can't just sit on our bums and expect all this just to happen. I mean, if a farmer did that, right, Alan, you can help me with this. Any farmer who doesn't actually look after their till their soil or, you know, forgive me, Alan, I'm, I'm trying to sound like a farmer, like I know what I'm talking about. But any farmer who doesn't know, who doesn't actually take care of the crop, what's going to happen? The weeds, it's going to get out of control. It's going to die, right? Especially in like when there's 40 degree weather. Yeah. Or like today. It, we cannot just expect unity to happen here. We need to be eager to maintain it. You see that in the passage? Maintain, work hard, put our shoulder to these things. This can't just happen. Even if you agree what I'm saying up here and you're like, oh, that sounds really good. I, I'm, that does sound compelling. But by your mental assent, doesn't make it happen here. We actually have to put our shoulder to it and bearing with another. You see, you see those things. Here's, here's what's in interesting. I feel like um, one thing that happens in churches, and this is what I hope doesn't become our church, though I think at the moment we're pretty random enough to where I don't think we'll fall into this, but is when people say, oh, we need to have community. So what they do is they slice and dice people into specific age groups and specific demographics. And then voila, look at the community that they share. For, let me give you an example. Um, let's, uh, let's say that a single mother shows up here, okay, at this church. And let me ask you this. Naturally speaking, who is she going to gravitate towards and have the most affinity with? Other single moms, right? That's okay, but that's just a natural thing. So what do churches do? Well, we say we got to encourage her to join a growth group with other single moms 
And then sure enough, over time, guess what? She quickly integrates and into that community and feels like she's thriving. Success? Mm, maybe, to a point. What likely occurred, though, as I was showing earlier, is a demographic phenomenon, not necessarily a gospel phenomenon. In other words, single moms gravitate towards each other regardless of whether or not there is a gospel. <laughs> the community, right? This community might be helpful, but it says very little concerning the power of the gospel. To be clear, there's nothing wrong uh, with wanting to be with people of similar life experience. It's entirely natural and can be spiritually beneficial. Yet I don't think that is the sum total of gospel community. Let me, I read this book this week, which is really helpful. I want to read, this quote's going to come up for you. It's Jamie, Jamie Dunlop. He wrote this, he says, many relationships that naturally form in our churches would exist even if the gospel weren't true. That's good, right, and helpful. But in addition, we should aspire for many relationships that exist only because of the gospel. So often we aim at nothing more than community built on similarity. I want us to aim at community characterized by relationships that are obviously supernatural. That's what I want to see. You getting a picture of it? That's, if we have that, we're a compelling church, I reckon. That's what's going to cause the supernatural powers, as it were, to stand up and take notice. Which means that if you're in Christ, if you're a Christian right now here in 2020, you can have unity, genuine unity, with all peoples, regardless of how different you are in culture, ethnicity, or, or social and economic status, anything else. but we have to cultivate it. We have to put our shoulder to this. It's not just going to happen on its own. You, you, you have to be here regularly. You, you, do you know what I mean? Like it, people show up, it's amazing to me. People show up at church every blue moon and they go, I don't feel like anyone in this church knows my name or know who I am. Hmm, I wonder why that is. Because you're not here that, you, you have to not forsake meeting together. You have to commit to actually carrying one another's burdens. Remember that illustration I gave you about, the, about eating the scone and getting the stuff all over your face? You have to be willing to actually confront people and, and, and hold up a mirror to them, so to speak. That's how gospel community, that's going to be the, that's what makes it tick and that's what makes it work ultimately. That's what I'm after. Oh man, I, I pray that our church, as we gather speak God's word, its truth, as we give, as we commit ourselves to holiness, that ultimately from that, we are a true gospel community. And because of that, we're compelling. That's really what I pray for, for this church. I, 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 that's what keeps me up at night, honestly. That's what I wanna see for our church. There's, I think there's pockets of it. I wouldn't say it's monolithic. I'd say it's uh, meaning universal, far from it. I think there's little bits and pieces of it, but oh man, I want to see our church actually a, a true compelling community. I'll stick around, I'll pastor, I'll pastor long-term for that. I'm keen to put my shoulder to that, but it has to be reciprocal. You understand? Like, in other words, I'm going to put my shoulder to it. If you're not going to put your shoulder to it, what am I doing? Seriously. <laughs> like, Seriously, yeah. And so like, w this is what I'm after. I'm excited for 2021 as we think into, okay, how do we now start to actually, the, all this stuff is good, but you know what? Even if, here, here's the trick. All these things that we talked about, I, 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 would, I would guess at least 80% of you probably, you haven't been out of joint with most of the stuff we've been saying, maybe more, maybe, maybe more than 80%, but I don't really know, right? The way that we actually start putting some rubber to the road of this stuff is what we're going to start doing in 2021. Thinking about, okay, well, who is this church then? Like, it's not just like, you know, is it, who's the church here? Is it everyone that walks in the door? Or, well, who, who is the church? Well, we need to start actually tightening our circle and saying, okay, well, what does that look like? And that's where, in the 2021, I am extremely excited. And I hope you can get on board with that. I, I, because we just want to look at the scriptures together and say, who are we as a church? What do we believe? 
What are we on about? All those things. Sound good? Yeah. Let's pray and then we'll, um, we'll take communion together. Gracious God, we thank you again for this time to think about true community, a gospel community. Lord, I pray that that would happen here at this church. Lord, I, I do see bits and pieces of it, but oh Lord, there's so much more that can, be, that can actually be done here. Father, I pray that those that are keen to, to put their shoulder, Lord, that they would put that you would empower them by your spirit. Lord, that we'd see a real life and revitalization happening this year in 21 in our church. Uh, we know that you are Lord of this church. And so we pray that as we, as we begin to clarify these things, Lord, that you would give us wisdom, that you would guide us, that you would unite us. Help us, Lord, not to just be stagnant, and just to think that by simply showing up every now and again, somehow that's going to foster community. Lord, forgive us for the ways that we've settled for a status quo in this church. We, we repent of that. And we do pray that we would turn to you and really want to pursue a true, genuine gospel community here. For your glory, we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. So if you're here and you